Hello, welcome to the CityWire Funds Fanatic podcast. My name is Gavin Lumsden, and today I'm talking to Sue Nofka, Head of UK Equities at Schroders, about dividends, prospects for the UK stock market, and the increasing efforts by institutional investors to engage with companies on our behalf. Hello, Great Sue. Thanks here, for joining Gavin. me. Now, you've been personally running UK equity funds for over 25 years at Schroder's. You've got two open-ended funds and one investment trust called Schroder Income Growth. Um, we're going to focus on that one because, as we've discussed here many times before, investment trusts are particularly good for dividends as they can put aside money uh, to support their own dividends when investment income is short, as it was very much last year. It's a, it's a big a huge advantage, adva- isn't it? Sue? Advantage. So we have been able to repair our roof while the sun was shining uh, and maintain dividend growth through the the drought of dividends that that was evident in, in 2020 and still in 2021. So we we feel comfortable and confident that that we can continue to deliver good levels of income to shareholders, regardless of of the market environment. And so by dipping into those reserves, uh, the board has increased the payout to shareholders for for 25 years in a row. Now, that's a a good achievement and not something you would have been able to achieve on your open-ended alpha income That's absolutely the case, yes. Uh, and that that's a, a fantastic okay. um, plus point for for closed ended vehicles. It certainly is. Now, do, you, do you think it's the, that reliability of dividends that helped trusts like yours to preserve their ratings last year? Because it's noticeable that despite all the upheaval in stock markets from coronavirus, um, shares in UK equity income trusts generally didn't fall to wide discounts. Below the, well, the they value did of very briefly, but but it's a kind of blink and you miss it because actually people woke up to the protections that that we've just discussed uh, and re-rated those securities quite quickly. And in fact, we've managed to narrow our discount o- over that that COVID period of the last eighteen months or so. That's right. Um, the other reason to focus on Schroeder income growth, uh, Sue, is that last month you marked your 10 years on running the uh, £220 million investment trust. So congratulations uh, on that. Um, now, 10-year record is, is good. You've grown dividends ahead of inflation. The shares yield 4% in income and total returns to shareholders have beaten the FTSE All Share and the UK equity income sector average that you're in. But it is a competitive sector, uh, as you know. Um, You're at the top end of the league table, but the trust isn't the highest yielding or the very best performing. So what I want to ask you is, what do you think makes the trust stand out from its rivals right now? What would you say to investors who are doing their research, looking at the sector performance table to pick a dividend fund? I think it's two things, Gavin. Um, It's consistency. So, you know, I've not been top of the pile uh, at any prolonged period of time. I, I'm not the most value, I'm not the most growth, I'm not the highest yielding. But that consistency of performance and the second thing is doing what it says on the tin. So this fund has specific objectives, an attractive level of income for investors and to grow that income in real terms and deliver competitive capital returns. And I think I've been able to deliver all of those things. So you said 4% yield. We've grown that that dividend approximately 1% per annum ahead of CPI inflation. That's important to retain people's spending power. Uh, and as you said, we, we've been sort of up there in a pretty competitive field uh, and certainly ahead of, of benchmark indices as well. Okay, now what investment style do you follow? There's been a really strong move in stock markets from 
highly valued, rapidly expanding growth stocks to what were cheaper value stocks whose prospects required an economic recovery. Where do you lie in this growth versus I'm value quite debate? So if I look at the fund as a whole, which I, I think is probably the best place to start, it has a small value bias. So whether you're taking Morningstar's grid, it, it sits slightly to the value side of, of that core um, large cap uh, quadrant. But I really have um, no no bias in terms of the inputs to the the trust. They're all idiosyncratic, bottom-up stock picks. And I have examples in the portfolio of growth companies as well as value situations. What, for me, makes um, a stock get into the portfolio is that the market is missing a trick that that we think our research uh, has given an edge to an investment case that is underappreciated. So it's that mispricings and being able to exploit that, as well as taking a long-term view. So quite often, something might go in as a more distressed value opportunity, but it's able to turn itself into a more steady grower. uh, And that can be very powerful for um, capital returns as it gets re-rated as well as grows its earnings. Okay, a pragmatic approach. Uh, sounds good. Um, we're 18 months on from the pandemic crash lows. The FTSE 100 is up 37% by my reckoning, um, but still 7% below its pre-COVID level. What's your view of UK stock market prospects after this strong well, recovery? Well, it has been a strong recovery, but probably not strong enough. I, I think there's still more to go for. And I'm pretty excited by, by what I see in terms of opportunities. I think we've got a really rich set uh, of attractive opportunities across Across the spectrum. And I think that is backed up by the level of outside interest. You know, we, we've seen a number of private equity buyers for UK assets. We know that valuations of the UK look quite cheap in an international context and against history. Um, we, we know that investors, particularly international investors, have been pretty put off by the whole Brexit risk. Uh, and currency ha- has um, been uh, pressured by that that political risk as as well. So all of those things have conspired to mean that UK equities ha- have been the poor cousin within the the asset class. Um, the UK ha- has kind of marked it, its Brexit exit. It's had a difficult COVID period, but vaccine success. And I think the the future looks pretty bright in terms of of growth. And that's why I'm excited, because I don't think it's all in the shop window. Um, And I think that there's a lot of pressure for for companies to perform. Uh, Otherwise, they, they could continue to get snapped up. Yes, we've seen a, a rash of bids. As you say, there's uh, ongoing bids for, for Morrisons, for Megit and, uh, and, and uh, Arm, the, the chip designer. But um, and in the last financial year, your trust uh, did quite well out of bids for, for William Hill and takeover of, of, of G4S. Um, but with this sort of rash of, of, of takeovers from private equity bidders, US bidders, um, there's, there's criticism that institutional investors are basically selling out uh, too cheap. Um, what, do you, what do you say to that? Uh, I guess you're, you, you must be quite keen to, to lock in gains after uh, a, a crash like last year. Only but, at uh, the right yeah, price, Gavin. If the UK stock market... 
Well, exactly. But if the UK stock market is still cheap, are, are people, uh, our investors, selling out too low? There's definitely a risk of that. Uh, and we are unafraid to speak out where we think that value is still being left on the table. So in the case of, of G4S, we, we were pretty vocal uh, at saying the price was not enough. Um, and, and we held out. We did not take any um, money off the table in the early stages. And we really ran that, that position. It was a large size for, for the fund and only started to sell down when, it, when the price was in the right ballpark for, for us for risk reasons. Uh, and we really maximised returns for our investors doing that. Um, we, we've been vocal in holdings elsewhere. So um, first group, not in the trust, but, but in our other funds in the sale of their U.S. Um, businesses in terms of, of transit and U.S. school bus. We, we felt that there was scope for um, voting against the, the recommended deal there. Uh, and we went public with, with that to try and encourage any other shareholders to, to vote against to see uh, if there was uh, another um, opportunistic buyer for, for those assets. So I think we, we wear our responsibility um, appropriately uh, and call things out where, where we see a shortfall. But, but yes, it, it's good when you've identified areas of value and you get that, that recognised. But it, it's got to be um, cognisant with the, the longer term potential. So it, in the case of, of John Lang, which was bought um, by a, a US buyer again um, earlier this year, um, we, we publicly said that we thought the price was fair. Uh, and we felt that that brought forward three years uh, of growth in the net asset value uh, and de-risked the execution under new management. So, you know, we, we're prepared to call it out where we see a shortfall. We're also prepared to, to call it out when we think fair's fair. So John Lang is like an infrastructure construction company. So, yeah, in a real sweet spot. But I guess you're saying, yeah, uh, um, a bird in the hand is, is worth uh, two in the bush, as they say. Um, let's turn to dividends um, because they've also uh, recovered strongly uh, with the uh, stock market rally and, uh, and, and the exit from lockdowns. Um, Link, the Link dividend monitor recently showed that in the second quarter, dividends actually jumped 51% uh, from, from a year ago when uh, there were widespread dividend cuts. Um, but uh, and it's all looking still quite rosy. There've been other reports from the likes of Quilter and Yanis Henderson uh, forecasting that uh, payouts have, have done very well. But they're taking longer, it seems, to recover in the UK than in Europe. So, for example, UK uh, dividends might ne- not get back to their pre-COVID levels until 2025. Well, as uh, Europe it makes its recovery this year, apparently. So my question to you is, were UK dividends too high uh, before? COVID? I, I think that that is the obvious conclusion. Um, I think it is fair to say that, that despite the, the bounce back, you know, we, we're still at a big shortfall at the market level. Uh, and I think there are huge benefits to being an active manager, especially within the, the income sphere. So the, the stocks that were over distributing have in essence rebased. So they've been in telecommunications, they've been in oil and gas. And then, of course, regulatory pressure had meant that certain companies, particularly banks, had been prohibited uh, until most recently from 
distributing dividends to shareholders. Other companies took the the decision that they would hold back uh, at a time that there were lots of pressures on its various stakeholders and it was appropriate to do so. uh, And we're seeing some element of of comeback to that. So we as an active um, manager have been able to navigate all, all of those complexities to benefit the the stock picking and where we find value and and where we think that income is appropriate to to garner for shareholders. Um, We do think that most of the rebasings of dividends have happened, but they're unlikely to to come back up to the kinds of, of levels that we saw at the end of 2019. So I think for, for banks and oils in particular, that, that will weigh on the market headline level. Where we have been very successful at looking for, for income has been pivoting to the miners within the commodity space. Uh, and that was really predicated on their very strong balance sheets as well as their exposure to early stage recovery. And in the last week or so, we've seen bumper dividends from the likes of Rio Tinto and Anglo-American. That Rio Tinto's interim dividend, if you take the, the ordinary and special, was a multiple of what they paid at the full year stage um, last year. And that's been very helpful to the, the trust, but, but also for the market dividend income. OK. Um, can I just go, I'll go back to uh, the banks that you just mentioned? Because um, you like financial stocks, it appears. You're 21% of the trust uh, is in... Uh, is in financial companies of one kind or another, like uh, fund managers, M&G, uh, intermediate capital group, uh, sort of stand out. But um, you're not the UK domestic banks. Is that still the, the situation? Um, because you sold after the, the crash last year. I'm just wondering if you brought back in, because um, uh, both NatWest and Lloyds have returned to the, the dividend list. They're, they're now paying resumed resumed uh, dividends. So does that make them attractive or are you still um, I've resisted uh, the temptation. I, I can see uh, a number of attractions, um, not, not least the, the dividends um, resuming, the, the scope um, for writing back the, the profits um, that had been provisioned for last year. But of course, interest rates remain um, pinned pin to very low levels, uh, and that impinges the net interest income for, for the sector as a whole. There's still the political risk uh, and shenanigans um, that you don't get from some of the other financial stocks that, that are, I'm very comfortable holding. So I, I think within the midst of uh, lots of attractions within the market, I can see some, but, but they haven't risen up the pecking order for, for me to want to buy them again yet. Okay, not compelling. Um, I'm interested also, I've given, <laughs> I've given an indication I like investment trusts, so I'm interested to see that you invest in other investment trusts. Um, you like, for example, specialist property companies, Assura that uh, invests in GP surgeries, Empiric Student Property for the recovery uh, in the student market. But um, the 3i also caught my eye. That's the, uh, the private equity giant, of course. Um, now, it re- fell to a discount um, uh, last year, uh, but it's recovered to a 20% premium, I see. So I'm just wondering, is that still good value and, and what's attracting um, you Lots there? of attractions for 3i. So, so just um, re- retracing to the, the many opportunities that, that were afforded by the, the market sell-off. 
Um, it, it created an opportunity to buy some high quality names for the, the portfolio that, that were trading at, at prices and valuations that we hadn't seen for, for some time. And 3i fitted into that category. Um, now, the, the biggest asset for 3i is a discount retailer. It, it's present throughout continental Europe, not in the UK. It's called Action. Um, and it's got 1,600 stores or so at the moment. Uh, and that could increase to about 4,000 over the next um, few years. So that is very powerful for earnings and the asset value. So I think a, a 25% premium to net asset value when the returns on um, invested assets are actually at the top end of three eyes range is pretty attractive. Uh, and action is not the only attractive asset, although it's the biggest for three I. So I can see opportunities to, to gain exposure to areas of the market that are um, not well represented elsewhere, certainly not a, a, at this kind of valuation. So I'm still a very comfortable and happy holder of that. Okay, well, that does sound like an interesting growth story. Thanks for that. Um, just want to go back to the uh, the engagement that you do with the companies that you in, invest in. You've talked about how you uh, sort of lobbied for a, a better price uh, for G4S when it was taken over. But uh, we've also seen this uh, huge uh, rise of interest in uh, ESG, the Environment, Society and, uh, and, and Corporate Governance. Um, and you know you're an investment trust that wants to have sustainable dividends, paying them for 25 years plus. But uh, it seems that dividends and sustainability in terms of the environment and and, and business practice are now inextricably linked. I do. Uh, do agree. you agree? Because you're paying dividends out of, of what should be your sustainable earnings, and we we've talked about those um, sectors that that were vulnerable to rebasing the, their dividends, and the question really is how sustainable were their business models. For, for the future. Uh, and so I, I do think we're, we're very linked. Clearly, also, the, there's a level of competitiveness. There's a, a level of stakeholder responsibility. Um, so dividends are also uh, a key driver for, for value. Where, when you look at the components behind total returns, it's your level of income and it's the growth of that income or earnings over time that, that really powers your, your returns as an investor. Uh, and far less over the very long term uh, of re-rating or, or de-rating of the markets. So I do think it, it's a very important consideration. And the other aspect of our investment process is that we're patient and long-term investors. Uh, and ESG factors tend to play out over the long term. It, it's not a, a, a switch that you can flick to... Um, change your practices overnight. You have to really understand the, the business. You have to understand the, the drivers and put processes in place to ensure that you're managing your risks effectively and taking advantage of those longer term opportunities too. OK, now... Um your boss, your ultimate boss, Schroeder's chief executive, Peter Harrison, has recently said that carbon neutrality is a you know, business imperative for, for Schroeder's and for the companies uh, it invests in. 
Um, and yet your annual report shows that uh, you know you've been very busy engaging with companies on a range of topics. But things like governance, uh, how companies are run, and uh, boardroom pay, remuneration uh, are actually bigger topics uh, you've engaged on more frequently than say climate change and, and the environment. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm puzzled well, by that. Uh, pay, pay comes up uh, on an annual basis, uh, and, and climate change is one of those much longer dated issues. I, I think where we have um, lots of evidence uh, of having engaged would be uh, around Royal Dutch Shell. Um, they, they've come out with their Capital Markets Day, their, their strategy. They put it to a shareholder vote. We've um, thoroughly engaged with, with that name. They've also been subject to um, a, a Dutch Friends of the Earth um, court ruling that they took through a provincial Dutch court. Uh, and then they've accelerated um, the strategy that they just come out with um, to, to good effect. So I, I, I don't quite take the, the criticism that, that we're unbalanced. I, I think it's the nature of, of annual pay awards and the three year pay policy cycle that that means by um, taking our responsibilities seriously we're a bit skewed that that way Okay. Actually, it's interesting you raised the point about Shell because obviously uh, it was a huge dividend payer uh, in the UK, then uh, a historic cut uh, to its dividend last year. Um, you held on to a position, um, but I think you're underweight compared to the, uh, the FTSE All Share, uh, and you held on to it rather than BP, uh, its UK rival, which you sold. So um, what is it... <laughs> I mean, you basically believe that in, in, in getting companies to do better. So Shell, it's obviously up to its neck in the, in the, in the carbon business, but um, you think uh, it, it can change. Um, the oil price recovery must have been, has been very helpful to its business and to you with the, the dividend shooting up recently. But um, can it realistically uh, become a, a renewable uh, green so energy provider? So many questions, Gavin. Can I, can I roll the, the clock back just mm. a, a touch? So we, we did have very large positions in, in Raw Dutch and also a position in BP during um, 2017, 18, 19. Uh, and in the second half of 2019, we, we were really scratching our heads as to how they could square doing everything, um, paying dividends to shareholders, committing to share buyback, maintaining the, the debt repayments, investing in, in the fossil fuels business and pivoting to renewables. You know, in our, our view, it, it just was unsustainable. Uh, and so we sold a lot uh, of our holding uh, at that point uh, and into the early part of 2020 to move to an underweight position. Uh, and clearly the, the share price um, reflected all, all the COVID hits from the, the oil price, uh, as well as rebasing the, the dividend, taking away the, the share buybacks. And what we've seen as we've gone through the, the vaccine-led recovery um, is the oil price coming up, cash flows being restocked, the ability to, to pay down the levels of, of indebtedness uh, and perhaps reward shareholders once again. And, and no surprise that at a different valuation with a different outlook, we, we've been rebuilding some of our positions, still underweight, but, but a more material position that, than we held, say, a year ago or, or so. 
Uh, and part of our confidence in rebuilding that, that position was around really engaging with the company about the role that it could play in transitioning the world um, towards a re more renewable future. Um, and there will be a, a reliance on new technologies to get them part of the way. But, but there is certainly something in not throwing out um, holdings that are exposed to climate change to allow those assets to be run in a poorer way without that level of scrutiny and transparency by some other parties uh, and to have that level of responsibility and to continue to use the cash flows to fund pioneering work in renewable energy solutions. So that that's our approach uh, and we think that's quite exciting that Royal Dutch Shell can, can be part of the solution um, rather than a problem. Okay, well, it's going to be fascinating to see if that, that particular leopard can uh, change its, its spots. Um, can I turn you to um, a company you've already mentioned, uh, Rio, uh, the mining giant. It's um, your second biggest position in the trust, uh, 6% weighting. Um, as you said, you, you, know, you, you invested um, after, after the pandemic hit, and you could see that um, as economies were opening, uh, it, it, there'd be demand for... Uh, for its products, but uh, I think shortly after you, you invested, there was a big scandal um, in May last year. Uh, it uh, emerged that it destroyed uh, two sacred uh, ancient Aboriginal caves uh, in Australia. Um, you know that was a, a huge scandal to to, to the uh, the Aborigines and and to lots and lots of people around the world. Everybody, it would seem. Now, your annual report is interesting because uh, it highlights that there were two calls made to the to the chair of, of Rio, and um, ultimately uh, the boss, the chief executive and, and two other senior executives um, uh, resigned over that scandal. So um, that sounds like good work. Were you, were you, was it you making it those calls, I wonder? It wasn't me personally, but it, it was my close colleague who I've worked with for, for over 30 years who was instrumental in, in having some of those tough-talking conversations with the chair to ensure that responsibility for bad actions um, were, were held to account. Uh, and so I, I, I'm very pleased that a collective responsibility um, had the the required um, results. Uh, and I think, you know, we, we've marked the scorecard. We want to, to see good execution and work, further work with community stakeholders. Uh, and really, they, they should be um, much more at the, the leading edge of Beck best practice uh, and they fell well short uh, and we were not shy uh, about holding them to account on that. Yeah, I mean, does this uh, episode mark a, a sort of sea change in, uh, in investor attitudes and sort of corporate relations? I mean, you know, would those resignations have happened 20, 13, 40 so. years ago? I, and think? there will still be some companies that, that put up um, a, a lot of barriers to accepting responsibility. But I, I think also... Um, are on the part of, of Schroders, we have been given the backing. You talked there about Peter Harrison, uh, and you know, as as our chief executive, he has given investors his, his backing 
to do the right thing by our clients. And that's very empowering for, for me and my colleagues. Uh, and we hold that responsibility on behalf of our, our clients to do the right thing. Um, mistakes will be made um, uh, and we, we recognise that. But we want to, to make sure that lessons are learned from, from mistakes and that, that people are accountable for, for any mistakes. So um, I, I think we, we have moved forward uh, in bolder shoes uh, and I look forward to, to what we can achieve as a result of that. Yeah, I mean, presumably, hopefully that sends a message you know, right all the way down the, 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 the command chain at companies like Rio that uh, uh, that kind of... Uh, uh, event cannot be can be tolerated. Were, were many of your peers in other investment groups uh, do, exerting the same pressure? Uh, do you think, or, or was Sometimes Schroeder we, taking we the lead? We do indeed take a, a leading role, but with very large companies, we we do need help from from like-minded investors, uh, and so we participate quite widely within stakeholder groups, the the investment forum, for example, uh, and another win probably. Two, two, two and a half years ago now were, was Unilever, where um, they had proposed moving um, the, the headquarters and listing to the Netherlands. Uh, and we went public with, with our concerns. Uh, and that helped garner influence from the, the wider shareholder community. Uh, and many of our peers also fell into line uh, and exerted sufficient pressure for a very large company to to reverse um, their, their decision to relocate. Yeah, that was a, a good outcome as well. I mean, you were telling me before we sort of came on air that uh, you used to run or be responsible for the uh, socially responsible uh, investment funds at, uh, at Schroeder's. I guess nowadays uh, all funds are socially responsible, or at least they're meant to be. Um, is that what uh, the investment trust and your funds, uh, you know, does that social responsibility ethos uh, run it throughout permeates. everything so you do. So we, we have an integrated status for the majority of the, the funds I'm responsible for. We, we have that ethos running throughout Schroeder's through all asset classes. And we also run some dedicated um, sustainable products where the, those factors are front and centre of the investment um, approach. So for our open-ended trusts uh, and closed-ended trusts that we're talking about today, it's an integrated part. Um, for the sustainable products, they would have, say, an environmental focus. And so they would have some common threads uh, and themes, but they would look quite different to our mainstream products. Okay. Well, there's clearly a, a lot going on, and I do recommend anybody who's listening to uh, to have a read of the Schroeder Income Growth uh, Annual Report because there's, there's quite a few other examples that we uh, haven't got time to to uh, to cover where there's uh, been uh, engagement on uh, on issues that need to be addressed. So, um, well, Sue, thanks very much for your time. That's all, all the questions I've got time for right now. But um, thanks very much for your time, and Thank you, uh, keep up the good work.